Well, take your Bible this morning. We're going to be in the book of Joshua, chapter 4, taking one uh, last uh, message in the book of Joshua uh, prior to our Christmas series that we're doing on a trilogy of praise. Uh, And you'll notice that in your bulletin this morning. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to praise God over, uh, over this time that we reflect about the incarnation of the Son. We're going to find ourselves this morning talking about uh, another chapter. I'm so thankful Ben brought us up to speed. What a, uh, a blessing he was uh, last week. Even though I was traveling back from some Thanksgiving break with my family, uh, I was with you in spirit as I was driving. And uh, we were enjoying every part of it. Uh, so what a blessing now that we uh, have been able to reflect on that. So, so thankful for that sermon last week that brings us up to where we are today in Joshua chapter 4. Now, there is uh, all throughout the book of, of Joshua, the conquest, and all throughout the Bible, one thing that you will find in our Christian discipline is the practice of remembrance. The practice to remember various things. It's, it's not so much an accidental thing than it is a proactive measure that we are supposed to engage in as Christian people in our lives so that we are not forgetting. And have you noticed this about yourself? I've noticed it about myself. I am really prone to forgetfulness. And it has nothing to do with age, all of you who are older than me. It has nothing to do with age, although that complicates things as well, I understand. But there is a discipline of the mind that challenges the believer to remember the things that they ought to have their mind dwell on. So God does all kinds of things when we think about how he helps us remember, and we're going to talk about one of these moments to remember in the text. But before we get there and before we read this uh, section in just a moment, I just want to take a second to just pray and ask God to help us to recall to our minds those significant things as the Spirit of God is in and at work in our hearts this morning, engaged with the very words of God, that we would never take this experience lightly. This is not just some person speaking in some words. It is the truth, the words of the living God. And each one of us, me included, even though I'm speaking, I walk away Sunday after Sunday, week after week, in studying this together and thinking, I have so much work to do in my life, and the Holy Spirit is gracious to help point those out in in my own heart, and I know that he's going to do that in yours as we listen today together as to what he has for us. But let's ask him to help us this morning, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, the one who, as we just sang about, who holds us fast, the one in which we celebrate who raises us to newness of life in Christ. Oh, to the Spirit who empowers us and indwells our lives to live and to be sanctified, to draw us to conviction. Do a work in our hearts this morning. Even areas where we're at at times reluctant to hear that our heart and what you've implanted and the words of your truth that are spoken that they would be recalled to our lives. Father in heaven, your incredible plan of redemption. Help us never to look at this as some 
trivial act that we, that we think about, that we talk about, that we sing about each and every Sunday, that we, that we, we encourage our own minds to dwell on in our devotions, that we would sincerely and genuinely be in awe of your redemptive work through the Son and the Spirit. Father, thank you for your truth. The truth that engages our soul in the deepest areas of our life that in many ways we often can easily be forgetful and reluctant to embrace them. We ask even this morning for each of our hearts that you would just break through to these corridors and blind spots in our lives where you want us to change to be more like your son. That we would look upon that effort of the mind and the practice of, of Christian disciplines not with something of duty, but of delight. That we enjoy you. Help us to do that as we walk through this text this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, it's often been said, and you have heard this before, that a picture is worth a thousand words. You know, on a, on a weekly basis, if, uh, if, you, uh, if you are like me and you have a, a smartphone and, and you do so many things now, you almost feel like it's a second brain to you. Uh, but one of the functions that I've really appreciated is pretty much on an everyday or weekly fashion, my Google Photos always gives me a notification. And it says something like, six years ago, this is what, is go this is what was going on. And in a brief moment of my, my weekly pursuits of doing what God has called me to do, often uh, if, it's the, if I grab it as I'm looking for the time or as I'm going throughout the day, if I forgot to swipe the notification away, just for a brief moment, I click on that four years ago, six years ago, notification. And I take a look at all the things that God has done. And it, and it just makes me pause for a moment. And I, and I look at those photos, pictures often of various different activities in our lives, birthdays, anniversaries, different trips, different things that we enjoyed as a family, thinking to myself, my goodness, my kids were so small. Uh, look, I'm so old now. Look how gray I am now. Some reminders are good, some reminders not so good. But at that brief moment, looking at that notification, it often causes me to stop just for a brief second and say, God, look at, look at what you've done. Look at how you've guided us. Look at how you've cared for my children who were once these, you know, little individuals that I, you know, felt like, oh, they could just jump on top of my lap and now they, they get on my lap and I'm saying, you're heavy, get off. But all along the way, these pictures serve my weeks, my moments, and my days of God's kindness, of his guidance, of his protection, and his blessings. And if you're like me, you step back for just a brief moment and you think to yourself, where would I be if, if God didn't do this four years ago or six years ago? 
Where would I be if he wouldn't have taught me this? And this picture is a reflection of all that God uh, continued to bring back to my mind. Well, this morning, what we have is, is a moment to remember, a picture that is developed sovereignly by a good God, given the reality that he knows our propensity to forget. In fact, you'll find this all throughout the scripture. In fact, I think the testimony of written inspired revelation is a testimony to the reality of how much we needed something to remind us. I am certainly reminded of this when I go back to Proverbs and Solomon's always saying, listen, my son, listen, listen. There is a call to remembrance and it's all over, not from Solomon just only, but it's from all kinds of different authors in the Bible. Here we have the individuals now, as Ben has brought us up to speed, they have now watched and been part of this miraculous event of the crossing of the Red Sea. Now we pick ourselves up in the midst, in the sense, in the midst of that crossing and towards its end, when they will now come to the other side, they will finally have their feet dwell in the land that has been promised to their father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can only imagine the nostalgia of that moment. Thinking as a collective group of people, we are standing in the things that were promised from of old. And we are witnessing the hand of the mighty of the mighty God of heaven work on our behalf. Well, in Joshua chapter 4, it's the rehearsing of this particular story. And as every theological history, I want you to not only read, uh, to listen with the eyes of the sense of the recounting of events chronologically. But when a history was written, oftentimes there are things that are read and displayed and they're stopped upon and dwelt upon for various reasons. So I'm going to stop and just make a few comments as we walk through this and then I want to get to the crux of, of what we're thinking uh, about this morning as we walk through this text together, which, and I want you to look for this as we, as we think about this together. And it's this. I want you to look for the ways in which God was calling the people to reflect, to remember, rejoice, and then ultimately to bring it to its conclusion that, it would, that everything that they would experience would reverence God. And that's what this particular memorial passage of the 12 stones is all about. And as, as we walk through it together, I'm going to stop at uh, small little portions and just pause for a moment and just make sure that we grasp the understanding of the history that is being recorded uh, uh, before us. Joshua chapter 4, verse one, I want to read the first three verses and just make a couple of short comments. It says, when all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Now, just think about this. The author is now recording this reality that God was promising and fulfilling all the things that he, had that he had said he would do. I will bring you into land. 
that you did not own, that you didn't possess. You are in the land now. And now notice this. It's a call as a collective unit. You're going to notice in, his, in the history of the Bible, he's doing this all, all along the way for the leaders of Israel. Joshua, he's addressing Joshua. Do this. Joshua always had the response, like, I got to follow the Lord. We talked about that in Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous up to every minute detail that God would ask. Because isn't there a reality that part of it that sometimes you'd think, I mean, God, why? Okay, we'll haul some stones around. We'll do it. I don't, okay. To every detail, God calls to the leader and to the men that are under his leadership. And he accounts for himself, these tribes, these heads of these households, the heads of each tribe, and he calls them to do the very thing that God wants them to do. And just notice this. God calls different people to lead in different ways, and all of that leadership is supposed to be consistent with the very same reality that all of us, as one cohesive unit, are following to every detail and instruction the very living and breathing words of God all along the way. The record of these things that the people did what they were supposed to do are supposed to ring in our ears, not to say, I wonder if they did it. It's for us to, re to come to the conclusion, see, that's what you're supposed to do. You hear it, you understand it, you obey it. And that's what Joshua was calling. Notice in verse 4, then Joshua called 12 men from the people of Israel. He did exactly what the Lord asked him to do and he, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up, each, uh, take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, so that this may be a sign among you when, you'll, when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Now, just notice this. God's intention in creating various memorials in the life of people and in the life of God's people at large is so significant for us because we get so consumed with all the things that are going on in our life. You know what the most difficult thing is to do sometimes in our lives in the busyness and hecticness of what's going on? It's to stop and reflect. Do you find that difficult? I don't know if you're, if you're anything like me I already have looked at my calendar for my upcoming week at least five times. And a to-do list that continues to go, and I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, this is going to be an interesting week. But you know, the reality is we could get consumed with all the things that we think that might occur or that we have planned to occur, and we don't stop for a moment to say, but what does he want me to do right now? What is my responsibility before him in these moments that I am currently breathing and living and thinking? See, it's not by accident, believer, that all of a sudden we're here on a Sunday morning thinking about the very truths of God. 
He called these leaders to do it. These leaders took up the stones, they, and, and God was shaping for them something that was to come for ages and generations so that when their children would say, so dad, I keep walking by these stones. What's up with that? And of course, the father would be able to say, well, let me tell you a little story. Maybe let's sit down by these stones for just a minute. Let us think together as we consider these particular ways. Now, take a look at these stones for a moment. These, are, these were found standing stones from the Iron Age at the gate of the city of Dan. This was not an uncommon practice for ancient Near Eastern cultures. Various components of stones that have been erected from different civilizations, but for our sake, recognize these stones, even at Dan, were a reminder at various times where these standing stones would, would be there. Now, they're not that color. I shaded them just so that you could see them in the midst of the backdrop. Okay, they were shaded for us, I should say. But to help us re reminder, as, as they were walking, these were often put at some gate component so that everyone who would come into a city would have to walk by those stones and they would have to recall to their mind something that they were supposed to be thinking about. Now you could imagine in a culture like the ancient Near Eastern culture, and if you ever go to Israel at some particular point, which I hope you have the opportunity to do, you will come to grips with the reality is almost as if God just took out a box of stones and dumped it all over the land of Israel. There are more trees, there are less trees than there are stones. There's a reason they didn't build with wood and they built with rock out of quarries because stones were everywhere. But these stones were unique. These stones were to recall the people to something, to someone, when their children would come and ask them. Follow in verse 8, he says, And the people of Israel, notice the history, they did just as Joshua commanded them. You know, I hope that as our children see our lives as parents and other older members and mature people in, in the faith, that that could be written about you and I. They followed the Lord just as he said they were supposed to. Just as they had called them to do. My dad, my mom, my uncle, my grandpa and grandma, my sibling, my close friend, they did it just as God told them to do. History is supposed to record and desires to record of people's lives the struggle to obedience, but what a glorious moment when we can say, we did it. And there are so many people here this morning who in the, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of suffering, they're calling to mind the things that God wants for them and obeying them in the midst of some incredible hardship. That should wow you because they don't do it by themselves and in their own strength. They're obeying. Challenge yourself. Is that you? Could that be written about you? And it says in verse 8, And they took up the twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua, and they carried them over, with them to the place where they lodged. 
Now, why all this talk about community and collective group of the people of Israel and 12 stones that represent 12 tribes? Here's why. The writer of this history wanted to promote the reality. They did it as one unit, as one unified whole. They, want, they were seeking to obey him. And the tribes that were leading them, the leaders of those tribes, and the leader of those leaders, Joshua, was, now, was following the Lord. They carried them over to the place where they lodged and they laid them down there. And Joshua also took set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now, just get in your mind, the passages is talking about two sets of 12 stones. The 12 individuals are calling uh, to t carry it with them to Gilgal. They're going to set those up, likely where they were camping, in a visible place, so that people, as they walked by, the children would say, what about those stones, Dad, Mom? And Joshua set 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan River, which, would, which was already at a point of overflowing, which was also at a point where now they were going to leave these stones there, and when the waters would come back, they would be covered, but in a time where the, those waters would be receded and, those, uh, and the, uh, those rocks could be visible at some point in the future, the Israelite people could look at those and say, oh, I bet that's the place where they crossed. What are those stones, Dad? Well, those stones are to remind you that this was the very spot by which the God of heaven led us to the promised land where the Ark of the Covenant that represented the very person of God in the midst of the people stood and the waters backed up. Oh, son, it was a sight to see. And they are recalling to their children and perhaps to their children's children what it would have been like to be there on that day. Joshua sets up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they're there to this day for the priest bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded to tell the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, notice the continuity in history. One leader upon another leader passed on to the people for the sake of enforcing the reality, follow God. Follow your leaders that follow God. And God provides when another leader is replaced, he will provide another one. And this this ongoing progression is rehearsed in the history. It says the people passed over in haste at the end of verse 10, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. Just stop for a moment. <laughs> I mean, 40,000 men of war, they're seven miles from the city of Jericho. Now what was heard of Rahab, now just tuck this back in your mind. It had to have seemed like ages ago when those 
spies left Rahab's house on the outside wall and were let down by the rope. There's a whole people that the God of heaven is revealing and bringing them across dry land. Don't think, for example, don't think for an instant that somehow the people of the land weren't aware of the very person of God and the very miracles of God that were happening. When all of a sudden the waters stood up still all the way up the stream, up to Adam, miles up the river, that someone wasn't go. what is going on here? They're all thinking, we are scared out of our mind. Rahab and her family huddled most likely in her house, just waiting, and then likely as the, as the information would be circulated. Hey, they're, they're not just on the west side anymore. They came across the Jordan the other day, and their God just stopped up the waters. Remember when he did that, when we heard that he did that with the Red Sea? He did it again, and they're camped right over there in Gilgal. They're seven miles away, two, a million and a half to two million people. Their lives were at stake. It says on verse 14, and on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Please don't get this picture, by the way, as you read through this, that Joshua was standing there, or Moses, his predecessor, was standing there going, come on, bring it in, yes, be in awe of me. That is not the reality of Moses and Joshua. Or is it any leader, a good leader that I know? It is leaders that will stand and say, God, notice, Joshua didn't bring the praise to himself. God brought the praise and affirmation to Joshua. And the people recognize and affirm God's movement and working through the person of God's choosing. That's the way it always worked. Leadership is a big deal an important responsibility and I would have no one here that has any sense of leadership position garner for themselves some attitude that says I want people to see me instead of see God Joshua's desire was all of the days of his life for them to see the Lord and the Lord said to Joshua in verse 15 command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan so Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as it was before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Tuck this away because in chapter in the, in, the, in the coming chapters that we'll come back to, the 10th day of the first month was a very significant time in the life of the people of Israel, the time of, of Passover, the time that they would remember. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he, set, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Just tuck this away in your own mind. The redemptive history of the Bible has a doxological focus. Doxological simply means it is a glory, it's about the glory of God. Its purpose and primary objective is to bring exaltation of the living and true God to help us reflect on his ways and who he is and why he does what he does. It is a doxological focus, which means you can't just go to your Bible and devotions and end it like, check. There's supposed to be something when you get done that you stand in awe of this mighty, majestic, sovereign, providential person who orchestrates all things of the world in the palm of his hand. He orchestrates rulers and kings and politicians and nations at a whim so that all people would say, God is God and there is no one like him. Oh, believers, so often we forget the majesty of the works of our God. We forget the ways in which he has guided us and we need pictures and we need memorial stones and we need all kinds of things so that we come back time and time again. I don't think, by the way, it's, I think it's providential, not accidental, that all of a sudden we come to a section of the 12 stones and a memorial and here that sits before us is another memorial that we will celebrate in just a a few moments. Memorials are big and important and significant in the life of God's people. Whether it was the people of Israel, whether it's Christians now in the New Testament church, they're important because we have such a propensity to forget. Now, they're important for three reasons. Let me give you reason number one. God really desired his people to remember his uniqueness. Did you, you catch this as we read through this story? And, and the story is pretty straightforward in its history and in its chronology and what they're doing and calling the people to unity. But God sets up various memorials so that we would take a moment and say, how unique really is our God? You know what, for people who would come in to the people of Israel thinking, you know, what makes your, your God so different? Well, last time I checked, there was no other God who was parting the waters of the Red Sea. Last time I checked, there was no God who was causing plagues to come to bring his people out of Egypt. A God who spoke to his people as a firing, thunderous, majestic God on the top of Mount Sinai and hands them over a handwritten tablet of saying, these are what I want you to do. A God who not just orchestrates events, but he's known by his people and he interacts with his people. See, that was unthinkable in the ancient Near Eastern world. In the ancient Near Eastern world, it was just 
pray to the gods and hopefully you'll find favor and maybe you can do all kinds of things to gravitate them towards your favor, but they didn't interact with you. You just kind of did what you think was pleasing to that particular God and there was a multiplicity of them throughout the land. I just want you to notice this, that God is in the process of the conquest and recorded in history to say, I am better and more unique than any God of the land of the Canaanites. The Girgashites, the Amorites, the Hivites, every single one of them, you're going to come across and you're going to see some idol reflective of their pursuit of some other God and destroy it because there is only one. Christian, can I just tell you this, that while we may not have Ashtoreth poles and Baal poles and various uh, mountains that are erected where you could go and travel and worship to a foreign god, we often set up so many idols of our own. Things that become so important to us, things that, become, that, that drive us away and steer us away from reflecting on the uniqueness of God, and it, and it happens in all kinds of ways, But I would just challenge you, Christian, don't think that somehow God is is no longer in the business of just showing his unique character to you and that somehow that you and I don't struggle with not seeing him for who he is because we're so in pursuit of things other than God. I've done it. I still have a propensity to just like, it's like you have those Squirrel idolatrous moments, right? Oh, 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 I didn't see that before. Maybe I should go there. Oh, oh, here's something new. And we travel outside the boundaries of our hearts, uh, intent to say, focus on the things that God has engraved on, upon every human being's heart, the law of God that is written on a heart. I will tell you, over the years of my own personal Christian growth, it is a challenge not to want to be misguided and misdirected. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden we can take the very uniqueness of God and we can not think about it. Not only we just not think about it, as if somehow we could say to ourselves, well, I just haven't thought about it for a while, but it doesn't seem to have any significant impact the lesser and lesser time that you focus and meditate on the things of God and the person of God and the practices of God, you will drift ever so slightly away from him. Don't be fooled, Christian, into thinking that, oh, it's only been this amount of time. I only, well, I'm just going to skip church a little bit of the time. Do you realize that if you make small practices, small practices become daily practices, and daily practices become characterizations of who you are and what you have chosen? And it shouldn't be said of us that all of a sudden something or someone is guiding us away from reflecting on the uniqueness of God. Now notice this. In Joshua chapter 4, he highlights this. They took the 12 stones... Uh, from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the, from where the priest's feet stood firmly, and they brought them over. Now, notice the history on deliberateness. They brought them right for the pl- from the place where the Ark of the Covenant stood. 
it wasn't so much the reality like, I got a stone that was closer to the priest's foot than you did. It was what was in place there. It was God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant that these stones reminded them that their God was unique above all the gods of the land. And when they talked about those stones, uh, it wasn't supposed to be some kind of in-passing comment like, hey, Dad, what are the stones? Like, oh, I mean, they were sitting by the priest uh, while we were walking over. No big deal. And they picked them up, and God told us to pick them up and kind of put them over here. So we did. They were supposed to call to mind that they were taken from a place where the living God made his presence known through a miracle, through a sign to say that would validate his promises from of old. See, signs and even miracles in the Old Testament were given to validate the message of God. That what he said was actually what was going to happen This is exactly why Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe my miracles. Not a person of the children of Israel as they walked over on dry ground that day could say that any single individual in that whole Israelite community could say, oh, I did that. The stones were a reminder to them that God alone worked on their behalf in the most unique way way that they're supposed to call it to remembrance. Now here's the challenge with reminders, right? Uh, You probably have a bunch of them, maybe even someone off during my message already and you're swiping them away. But if you you come to those moments where you, you, you set things up as reminders and you just forget or you didn't set a reminder, for example, bad thing to happen, don't forget your anniversary, bad idea. You'll call something a remembrance, and it's not going to be good things. Don't forget birthdays. I mean, the reality is is there's moments in our life that God wants that, but I can remember moments where people, uh, I I can remember this one moment where an individual reached out to me years and years ago, uh, and this has happened from time to time, perhaps it's happened to you. And uh, they set up a time to meet. They wanted to talk about some things. And so I said, yes, let's do it. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting you. And all of a sudden, I get a text message that says, I'm here. Where are you? Have you ever had that, like, really freak out moment in, the light, in your mind? Like, what am I missing? And they said, oh, yeah, right, this time. Well, that time it happened to me. I was an hour away. That's great. Like, all kinds of things are going through your mind when you forget those things. Like, really foolish things. Like, this is how they are now going to view me. I am that person. I'm, I'm that guy. I don't know if I want to set up an appointment with him anymore. There was, there's, at times, a forgetfulness and then even a panic as to what we think people will think. What does God think when all of a sudden we forget about who he is and why we live and what we do and the meaning we have and the purpose by which we live. Now I can tell you one thing, he's not super happy. The moments and portions of my heart where, where I've forgotten to obey and not just forgotten, but I haven't even taken the time to think about it because I've been so consumed 
with various things. And that is the challenge for you and I as believers. We have to find ourselves increasingly taking greater opportunities to slow our life down to manageable moments when we deliberately look to remember our God. Now, praise God, we get Sunday, the first day of the week in the New Testament, that the people gathered. What do you think they were doing? They wanted to remind themselves. That's what we're doing through song, through preaching, that this is our God. What is it about his uniqueness? The fact that you realize, you know, our God never changes. I mean, this God that we read about in, in Old Testament history and the book of Joshua and the conquest, all of a sudden that our minds would somehow go, well, yeah, but he's different now. No, he's not. He is a God who does not change. As James says, he doesn't change like the shifting of shadows. Once, he, he is always the same. This is really good news for us. Because he doesn't change his disposition about me once he gives me the righteousness of Christ and I still struggle to grow in my sanctification, he doesn't go, well, I gave you a whole bunch of grace, but you used it all up. He is a God of grace. From, the, from eternity past to eternity future, he will never be different. He will respond with love and kindness and grace in every measure. His uniqueness is in his wisdom. The things that we think about and say, where were you how many years ago and what has God done in your life and in the life of your family? And all those good things that you say that we rehearsed even during Thanksgiving time, you know, they're supposed to fuel us to say, well, if that's what he did then, man, I've got so much to look forward to. And we do. But we come encompassed so often with suffering and pain and difficulty where our gaze turns from a vertical perspective and it starts to be brought down to the things of my suffering, people that we've lost, struggles that we've had, and all of a sudden we begin to say, yeah, but I don't know if he's really interested because I'm calling out to him, I'm asking him to do something, and he doesn't seem to be listening to me. And so we just stop calling out. We stop praying. We stop resting in him. God wants us to remember his unique character. That's what he called the people. That's what the memorial stones were. That's why they took him from the very midst of the Jordan and set him up at Gilgal. This is why, in a very practical sense, uh, this whole disposition of memorials are encapsulated in our culture. We have a day called Memorial Day. You wear a wedding ring on your hand if you're married because it memorializes what you committed to. So that every time you look at it and you say to yourself, wow, like, I'm married. I love this. Like, it's a memorial to you. Some, some of you might be thinking, like, I'm looking at mine, but I'm not too pleased. You realize we even get in those moments of our lives that we look at and we remember the things that God has allowed and we experienced and we even wrestle with how we view the things that, that we've wrestled with over time. Remembrance is an important facet of our lives so that we look to the Heavenly Father. 
Reason number two, God desired not only for us to remember his uniqueness, but to remember his activity. I love the reality that he points them back to the Red Sea crossing. Notice in Joshua chapter 4, he says, Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from us until we passed over. Now, why is this so important? Because the people of Israel at the moment of the Red Sea crossing had one of two choices. They could go back and die in, in, in Egypt and be, take, and be let, left there as slaves, but the Egyptian army was coming. If God didn't open up a pathway for them to go, they had no place to go. They were trapped. God opens up the Red Sea, and he, and he saves them. See, all of God's history, even the conquest, is a larger depiction of the way in which our unique God delivers us. I mean, you can only imagine sitting on the east side of the Jordan, and you're thinking, as Ben mentioned the, the week previously, like, how, we want to go there, but we got this thing going on. What's going to happen? How are we going to get there? Then God dries up the waters of the Jordan, and they enter out on dry land. They get to the other side. They set up the memorial stones to say these things. Our God is not only just unique in words and person. He acts on our behalf. He does things so that we would be in awe of him. We would be enamored, enamored with his person and with his ways because we struggle at times seeing God for as good as he really is. It is so important for us that when we look at the, the activities of God, we could rehearse in our lives, and you could do this as well, and I would encourage you to take some time, even perhaps today or this week, and say to yourself, what is, it, what is it about God's work in my life and the way that he has guided me, protected me, grown me, cared for me over the years? What is it that I just, I just want to be thankful? I want to be deliberate about remembering. Not only just all the good and kind things, those are easy, but what about the things that were tough for you to go through? or the things that are difficult that you're going through right now? Will you remember God in the midst of your suffering as well? When it's hard, see these are the times when we, we don't want to remember God's activity or God's uniqueness. For years and years as I've cared for people, one of the most challenging components that people have wrestled with over the years is, to think of, is how they think about their past because their past seems to assault them in the present and it challenges them to think about the God who they serve and will he do something for them in the future? Will he come to their aid? Will he come to their rescue? These memorials are, are designed in such a way so that you and I would continue to reflect on God's goodness and his kindness so that we remember that when we experience things that we remember things that are hard for us to think about. And this happens all the time to people, by the way. Somebody loses a loved one. Somebody is challenged with a, a miscarriage. Somebody's 
facing a, a, a difficult suffering in the moment of their life in the past. Somebody has gone through child abuse or domestic abuse and all of these kinds of things, and they think in the past and they think, how could God allow this and still be good? See, because God's actions in our life are bigger than just to alleviate suffering for us. Do you know that you realize as a Christian, I hope you realize this, that God's primary objective in this world is not just to relieve you from suffering. In fact, so often in the Bible it says that we are going to suffer, we better just get ready. Because Jesus even suffered. That doesn't mean that God is not, God is somehow a bad God or somehow inactive or inoperable or somehow not powerful. Here's what he is. He is a God that sees through the sufferings in a way that he sees our greatest need is salvation, not the removal of pain. Can I tell you, if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never repented of your sins and trusted in him, that your biggest concern ought to be what your heart, your spiritual heart is doing. Because he has come to answer that. And he's done it through, his, through the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself on your behalf and in my behalf and all Christians' behalf so that we could be saved. He desired for us to remember the activity. He desired his people to remember the activity of the Red Sea crossing so that they would always, in the midst of the early stages of the conquest, they would always be saying to themselves something like, well, I mean, he parted, the, he parted the Jordan River. I mean, I guess if he tells us to walk around Jericho, let's do it. If he tells us to, con to, to, to not take certain things, then we won't. If he tells us to go and destroy these, uh, this particular city and these particular people, we're going to do it. If he calls us to go here, anywhere he calls us, whatever he tells us to do, we're going to just obey him. Because he is God and we are not. That is our call as Christians today obedience. Find yourself reflecting and remembering his uniqueness and remembering his activity, but also he desired for all nations to remember his mighty hand of control. Why? Because at the very end, he says this incredible statement, Joshua 4, 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may Fear the Lord your God forever. A remembrance was designed not only for his people, but to a large degree the reality that the whole world might know that God is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is supposed to impact, by the way, the way we parent the next generation, the way we disciple the next generation, so that when our kids Come at whatever time they come, and the older you get, the older your kids get, you can resonate with this, the later the hour becomes. At 10, 10.30, knock, 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 I've got some questions. You realize how tempting it is for a parent at 10.30 to 11 at night to go, how about tomorrow? We reflect on the uniqueness and remember the God who can come in the midst of that. He wants us to rest now. Why aren't you resting? We cannot capitalize on moments when our kids are asking us, what about this? What about this pain? What about the way God would do this here? 
Does he love us? Who is this God? Who did create mommy, daddy? Who created this world? Who created the sun? Oh, for us not to take time to help them and remind them and the next generation for years to come, however long God chooses to tarry before he takes us home, that we enjoy recalling the works of our God. He is so filled with grace. He is so filled with redemption that his purposes are for us to see him and enjoy him for who he is. And it just doesn't go beyond there. He wants the whole world to know that he is God so that we as Christians would reverence him and stand in awe of his works and his ways. And we have to realize and remember that God's wisdom far surpasses any humanly wisdom that could ever, that could ever be given here on earth. You know, as we think and we close this section for this memorial stones, I think back to the book of Malachi in Malachi chapter 3, right before there was a long 400-year period of history of silence before Jesus Christ came in the flesh and was born to Mary, what we're just about to celebrate. And the people's disobedience and lack of remembrance and lack of, of forgetting the things and not obeying. Is this interesting? In Malachi 3.16, he says this, and those who feared the Lord after Malachi the prophet spoke with, with them, he said they spoke to one another. The Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. He's calling their minds and a whole book of remembrance was given for a period of silence so that they would always remember that their God is heaven, in heaven above and on earth below. Challenge yourself with this. How much time are you, deliber are you deliberately taking to reflect and remember God? His uniqueness Small group leaders, are you taking time to just have your group say, what are you just appreciative about God about? Thank him for it. Think about the acts of God that are worthy to be remembered. Things that have happened in the Bible. Things that have happened in your life that he's cared for you. Perhaps practically speaking, where does this intersect with you? Do you keep a journal of things that God has done in goodness to your life and to your family? So that at time past, when Google fails to remind you, you actually have something written like, oh, he did do stuff. And your phone doesn't go down, but you still have a remembrance? Keep a journal for your family. Rehearse it together. Take time, mom and dad, while you're in the car. In these quiet moments, all of a sudden, to ask your kid, your children, so what is so amazing about God to you, sweetheart? What story is your favorite story in the Bible about God who saved people? Grandpa and Grandma, do you sit down with your kids, your, your grandchildren, and, and just pass on the ways in which God has worked in your life? Oh, I love getting from my, 
from, from the kids enjoy getting from their grandma, things of a journal that she kept on their various birthdays and times and special occasion where she copies a page out of her journal to help them realize what she was thinking at that moment years and years ago. And then she, she can talk with them about how God has shaped her life. It has to be personal. It has to be generational. And God's goal is international. That the whole world will know that he is God. And as we come to the Lord's table, we get this great occasion where we can celebrate a memorial, and that's what we're going to transition to this morning. After, after I pray, the worship team is going to come up, but I really encourage you. This is a memorial for us not to forget. This is why he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is why he says, do as often as you do this. There was a regularity to it. This is not monotonous. This is something we ought to do to remember. If you're here and you're saying, you know, I don't even remember an occasion of which I, I trusted in Christ as my Savior and repented of my sin. I can, just let me encourage you. This is for the body of Christ to reflect on something that their Savior did. You, you don't have to feel ashamed of taking it. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to take it. We don't want you to take it. We want you to focus on what is your need spiritually before God? If you're a believer and all of a sudden you're saying, you know, I'm living in sin right now and I'm not even taking things before the Lord. I haven't remembered his ways and practiced them. Can I challenge you? Do business with the Lord. Examine your heart as we get an opportunity when everyone's coming up. Take that silent moment and do that because God wants us to do, to, to take these memorials and remind ourselves with a pure heart, with a pure conscience. And if you do, as you've done that, perhaps you've already come examining yourself, guess what? Rejoice. This is your God who saved your soul, whose body was broken, whose blood was spilt so that you could enjoy a restoration, forgiveness in your life with God. We can rejoice. Let me pray. The worship team's gonna come. I'm gonna step down. You can immediately, after our prayer, Come, come forward and get those and I'll come back up and lead us through it uh, in a moment. Let's pray. Father, the goodness and your loving kindness that calls us to remember who you are and what you have done through your son, Lord, we celebrate this memorial of the Lord's table as a whole body desirous to remind ourselves of what it took to save our souls. We were just, we were so blinded in our sin. We couldn't see you. We couldn't see your ways. We didn't exalt you among the nations. And you took us from the darkness and you brought us to your glorious light and you adopted us into your family. Lord, we are so thankful that we could celebrate this memorial together. Help us to take it seriously and that our hearts would reflect on the very goodness of God and, and repent where we need to so that we can enjoy relationship with you. In your name we pray, amen.